Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. From now until September 15th, we are encouraging members to register to Paint It Forward as a way to give back to their local community. You can register individually or as a group on our website. Look for Paint It Forward under the Events tab to register. This episode is sponsored by Bayer and Federated Insurance. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, we welcome back guest Matt Carlson. Matt is the owner of M. Carlson Painting, which is a residential repaint company based in Orono, Minnesota. In this episode, Matt takes a deep dive into significant changes he has made in his business over the past two years that have propelled him to doing $5 million in annual revenue and that have allowed him to open up his first satellite location in another state. Matt shares his secret sauce to hiring and retaining good talent, telling us how he cracked the code to the labor force problem that so many painting company owners struggle with. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Matt, thank you for coming on for round two of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, man. You are very welcome. I appreciate the re-invite, so... Yeah, man, you're you're uh, you're a great guest. So, thank you. Kind of refresh us on M. Carlson Painting. What, what do you guys do? Where are you based? Uh, we are based on the western suburbs of Minnesota, Minneapolis surrounding area. Um, we primarily work residential repaints. That's what we do uh, quite a bit of. We are a fifty-fifty interior exterior company. You know, so we get really busy between May to November. We stay steady in the slower months. It's Minnesota's unique place. You were just here. You got to experience that it gets pretty cold. People kind of shut down. So it's, it's not, it's almost like two separate worlds is you've got the summertime where it's booming and it never stops. The days last forever. It's hot, it's humid. And then it gets cold and dark. So our residential definitely slows down, but we stay, we, we stay pretty steady with the repaints. We've got a couple contractors that we do some work for. We're starting to branch out and do a lot more new construction. We're getting into, we've always done quite a bit of like multifamily property management work. So that's really picked up in the past. I don't know why that is, but that's been good. And our residential stays steady. So we, we sprinkle a little commercial on there. That's just not what we do. I would like to do more of it, but we're plenty busy with the residential. So do you have any advice uh, about how you maintain a fair amount of work over the winter for other companies that struggle with winter slow season? It's a great question. Well, 
like most companies, we did the same thing. We didn't, we weren't really preparing for the future. You know, we would go into a typical season is, you know, busy for all of us here, May 15th through November 15th. That's just what it is. And then you get to the holidays, you got Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and everyone just expects that it gets slow. Well, I know a handful of commercial painters that that's actually their busy season, that they are extremely busy trying to get stuff during that time. And so we've looked at it this way is that if we can go, if we can take exteriors from last year and carry them over to this year, we should be able to do that with interior painting. Maybe not to the same degree because you can paint interiors 12 months out of the year where exteriors in Minnesota, you're limited to maybe six months. Ironic. I mean, it realistically, you're looking at four of decent weather. So for us now it comes down to, it's just like if you go into any, into a target, you know, before any holiday, they've already started marketing for it. So for us, we're going to start marketing for interior work, pretty much starting in the middle of the summer into the fall. So we're getting those people calling and getting them on the books and thinking about it versus not thinking too far ahead and just trying to get through our busy season. You get to the fall, then it's done. And then it just stops. And that's, Yep. It's just a terrible way to run a business. It's a terrible way to, you know, our, our agreement with our painters is that we do everything we can in our power to keep them busy. And by not doing that, we're kind of letting them down. So that's, we've really taken that on to, we owe it to them to keep them as busy as possible. I mean, can they stay as busy in the summertime? Maybe. I mean, we're going to try to, we're going to try to prove that true. So. Sure. Yeah. Marketing. Uh, it's, I would say it's a leading indicator of success. And I, for most painters, I don't think we do that. We end up just, we get so much work and we get so busy and we're so focused on all the work that's in front of us. We're not thinking about, okay, when this slows down, what are we going to do? Yeah. So it's that feast or famine. It's, it's typical in the trades. Sure. So when you are doing this marketing leading up to winter, what are you typically doing? What do you find most effective? Well, 2021 was our, was our best year ever. Uh, we got very lucky as far as the right people kind of coming on. We got very lucky with the, with the wrong people leaving. And so we were able to capitalize. And this is the first year that we've gone into the following year with, we've got quite a bit of work. I don't want to say we don't have any, but not compared to what we did last year. And so we already started this January, February marketing to all our past customers, which to me is the smartest thing you can do. If they're happy with your work, I'd rather go after somebody who's already worked with us, understands how we do things. They're more likely to hire us again than trying to send out a bunch of flyers to anyone else while everyone else is doing that. Um, We've picked up our social media a little bit. We finally redid our website, which was huge. Um, That's starting to get a little bit of traction. I'm spending a lot more time doing the networking, things that I enjoy doing more so than the day-to-day stuff. So that that's helped out, but we're also asking for the sale. We're also turning everyone on our staff into networkers, not so much salespeople, but just, just networkers. Hey, who do you know? Talking always kind of promoting the business and stuff like that, but we've got a good team right now. And we're kind of spread out through the state um, about 20 miles West of our office. And then we're also now right into Hudson, Wisconsin. So we kind of have the entire, line across the state, which helps. Plus, you know, being in business as long as we have with a pretty good track record, you know, the initial organic behind the scenes, just the phone 
rings just because, but to me, it's like, we can always be doing a better job. Um, but marketing should be always be the first thing we're doing no matter what. Sure. Yeah. So this idea of turning your team into networkers, I would love to learn more about that. So years ago, when we moved, when I moved to the farther Western suburbs, we knew that we had to get two things, an address, a local address in the area, if we wanted to be part of the community. And then I needed to get super involved with the community. So I ended up joining a BNI, which is a business networking industry. Yeah. I don't know. I, just, I can't remember what it is, but that was great. You know, that kind of got me into a lot of the local businesses that were doing well and stuff like that. So you really learn to network. You learn to do your 60 second commercial every week. I mean, it's quite a commitment, but the, the key is if you have a good sphere is what they call it. And I had an interior designer, a wallpaper, an exterior contractor, an interior contract. I mean, so I had everyone feeding me work. And so that really taught me how to utilize a network and go out there and, you know, ask for referrals, ask for the business and stuff like that. So right now we've got a couple of our guys, one's in Wisconsin doing it. And then another one is farther West from us. And so that's, that's been great. We've teamed up with a lot of good other companies. Plus right now the demand is so high that you just have to ask people, you know, do you need a good painter? Do you need anything done? And years past people would tell you, no, now it's like everyone needs something so, sure. um, so we have like, we've done a couple of the trade shows, nothing major, you know, it's kind of the smaller ones and stuff like that, but, um, really anyone on our team, you know, has to put on that networking hat all year round because it just, it needs to be constantly asking, you know, who do you know, or this or that, or, Hey, you know, I work with this realtor, you know, as my parents friend. So let's talk to them, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it's, it's amazing how far that goes that you can really open up a lot of opportunity by just going around and doing those small little things. Sure. So you, I mean, is this, is this officially part of people's job roles? Have you said, Hey, I want you to go out and join this BNI or this chamber of commerce and, and all, you know, be networking. Do you reward people for that? Or is this kind of more unofficial cultural? Both. So we've got a couple different positions here. Um, my, my role is to pretty much bring in leads, build the network, and then also always be looking for, for painters. That's kind of the position that I've been pushed into besides kind of overseeing the different divisions and different team leaders and stuff like that. So that's, that's my main focus. And so as we brought on guys to, and gals to do like um, the sales estimating and project management, we've then asked them, hey, we'd like you to join one of these groups which they've been eager to do. And it's been great because they're really seeing it kind of pay off. Sure. Um, it was a little scary at first because they were intimidated and stuff like that. Like having to get up every week and give sure. you a 60 second commercial and kind of put yourself out there, but you talk to any of them now and they really enjoy it. And it's also one of those things too, where it's a huge time commitment. So if you're not, if you're not getting a return out of it, well, you got to cut bait and go. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's not worth your time. So We've got a new position that we hired uh, actually a husband and wife team for um, one of them. We call him a hunter. He's out kind of doing the same thing I am. And his wife then does the project management. Uh, she does all the designs for us and stuff like that. So it depends on the personality too. We're not asking everyone to go out there and join a BNI group and, and yeah. do it because Christy, our office uh, administrator, I mean, she's here, she's, she's answering the phone, she's doing all that stuff. And then Marissa who runs the schedule, like she's in the office. So if you're in the office all day, we're not going to ask that you go 
to a BNI, you know, at seven o'clock on a Tuesday morning and then try to get in here. It's just, it's not worth it. But our other guys who are out there, you know, we want them and it's all about relationships in this business. I mean, if it's a relationship you have with your crews, yep. with your clients, with your content, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a good partnership. And so this is teaching those guys to build those partnership, those referral partners with other designers, with roofers, siders, with, you know, HVAC guys, with all that stuff that especially now there's, there's just so much opportunity and people just need somebody they can rely on. And that's pretty much kind of where we've put in our, we put ourselves in that position to be, I don't want to say the go-to guy, but a good resource. So when people call us like, Hey, we've got three or four different roofers that would be a good fit for you. Hey, we've got a handyman. Hey, we've got somebody that can kind of do this that can fill those needs because everyone's busy right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you, I, I want to kind of dive into one thing you said, if, if you're not seeing the return, then you should cut bait. And one of the things I think people tend to do is cut bait a little bit too fast because oh, they, yeah. they went to one BNI and then all of a sudden they should magically just have a, a big book of business. Yep. Well, how do you, how do you gauge when you cut bait or, or, you know, how long does this take typically? So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a high D I, I like to move fast and stuff like that, but I've made those mistakes. Um, not giving things enough time, you know, just doing postcards one time, doing a bunch of Google ads. And it's like, if it doesn't work well, you have to have some patience. So I'll tell you that for you know, 24 hours. You, I mean, isn't that long enough? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's even too long for me. You know, it's like, Hey man, if it's not ready in an hour, I'm done. Yeah. I tell them six months. Be, okay. And the reason I say that is because Minnesota is so seasonal is that it takes a while. Plus Minnesota is a very unique place where it's very clicky. People have been there, been here. You guys are a special breed from my, oh, man. I love insane. you guys. You're definitely a special breed. I've, I've, I was born in DC when I was young, but I've been here my entire life and I still feel like an outcast. Like I just, <laughs> I'm not passive aggressive. I, I still, I've got great friends that I went to kindergarten with, but I've, I've branched out and I've met new people and I've moved around and I don't live in my parents' house or I don't live down the street from my parents. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I did, you know, marry two Minnesota girls, but you ha it takes a long time to kind of crack the code here is to get people to trust you. But once, sure. once you're in, it's pretty good. So, and all that takes time And Minnesota is very passive aggressive. So people won't come out and say, Hey man, you did a terrible job. This is what you did wrong. I want to give you another chance. They'll just tell you, Oh, everything's fine. And then they kind of won't use you again. Yeah. So building that trust that that takes time and it should take sure. time. I mean, you don't want to go into any business or any relationship naive and jump right into it. So yeah. especially for us, because the type of work that we do, we're inside people's houses. So people really have to trust us to refer us going into, doesn't matter the dollar size of the house, we're still going into their home. So once the trust factor is there, then there's no stopping you. Yeah, And that's where these guys are really starting to see the leads come in, the jobs that, you know, they're starting to get stuff. They're really starting to feel like they're part of something bigger than just going in there and just trying to beg for leads. Sure. Yeah. So you, you have to get the homeowners to trust you. Um, but then you're also, you're forming these partnerships with interior designers and, and other people in the BNI and, and you're approaching it from the, the perspective of someone you can, that, that they can rely on you, right. That you're going to be there. You're going to be solid because people are so busy and there's so much stuff going on. You want to basically, I guess, serve that need in a way. And I think it's important for everyone listening to kind of recognize how you're approaching this. It's not just, Hey, 
you have leads? Hey, can you give me leads? Right. It's, hey, I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm what you need. And what you need is, is someone rock solid. You know that, that the painting is going to get done. It's going to get done right. And you don't have to worry about it. Well, and it takes consistency and it takes a long time. And that's, for me, I was fortunate because I was the lead painter. I was the salesman. I was all that stuff. And so that was, in as, as we've grown and transitioned, we found the right people that have that where, let's just say a high-end designer. Well, she just doesn't want to refer anyone to go into her client's house because if that painter does a bad job, well, then that, that falls on her. So it's very, it's a slippery slope because you've got to do a good job, but you can't just be a good painter. I mean, that, that those days are done. I mean, maybe outside you can get away with it if you just focus on exteriors, but even then, not so much for our clientele. I mean, these are nice homes. And even though you're outside, there's still cameras. There's still, I mean, there's people, there's dogs, there's people running around. So you have to bring a whole nother level of, you're also promoting yourself. Like, Hey, yes, yep. we should be good painters. We're professional painters, but we <clears> actually <throat> care about your property. We actually are going to take our shoes off. We're going to come in. We're going to be trusting. We're not going to go through your drawers. We're not going to steal things. Uh, and it's yep. interesting. I've been talking to so many painters over the years and this guy, Grant, that we're talking to in Alaska, we asked him, you know, how are you, why are you, why do you think you're so successful in Alaska? And he goes, two reasons, people like me and they don't think I'm going to steal from them. And he's like, honestly, that's, that's it. And unfortunately the trades has got a bad rap and the bar is pretty low and people automatically assume that whatever trade you're in, you're beneath them, or, you know, you, you, you don't understand that how nice their stuff is. I mean, there's all these emotions that play into it. So you really have to get people to trust you and to feel good about referring you because that's the name of the game. Yeah. So I, yeah, I want to dive into that because you and I were speaking before we started this recording and your mindset has kind of shifted, I think a bit from not being a really a painting company, you said you you're basically becoming a marketing company that offers painting, and, right. and I'd love to I'd love to hear um, more about that. So we've always had the problem of having the best painters do amazing work, and not having the infrastructure, not having the leadership, not having the knowledge on how to run a business. It was it was much easier when it was just me doing the work. Then it was easy when it was me and a couple crews. And then it got a little more challenging. And then it became very challenging when you've got somebody trying to run a schedule. You've got, you know, project managers and salesmen and all this stuff. You've got all these moving parts. And so things kind of, you're just reactive. You're pretty much putting out fires. That's what I did for the past six years. I put out fires, never worked on my business. So I was never really trying to go out and capture new business. I would get what we needed. So we were putting out a good product, but we weren't able to keep up with it. And so it's, the scale started to tip is where, especially when things got really busy, that's when we noticed our phone was ringing a lot more, but we weren't ever really set up to handle that much volume and mm -hmm. do it well. So once we, once we figured that out, which was an extremely painful process and expensive process, um, once we got that figured out, and we were able to get through the work because we always had more work than we needed. So we never had to market for new work. Sure. We just couldn't find the guy. Actually, I could say <clears throat> I wasn't able to train the new people on how to do it like I would. I just didn't have the patience. I'm not, I'm not a good manager in that sense. So once I was able to 
get really lucky and find people that can do that for me is now we've got great systems. We've got right, the right people in the right positions that can take the anywhere in the project and step in and have the same expectations as the next person. And so now once we got through all our work last year, we realized well, we need to market. We need, we need yeah. more leads. Like in years past, like we were, we were doing everything we could. And I hate to admit this, but we were doing everything <laughs> we could to delay the work because we couldn't get to it. Yeah. We were telling people, oh, we can't get to you because of COVID. Oh, hey, you know, every excuse in the book. <laughs> X, Y, or Z. Oh, yeah. man. It just, it was, talk about embarrassing. And I felt like an absolute failure because I was like, how can, like, this is such a good problem to have, but how, how can I not figure this out? Like, we've got great painters. We've got a great product we put out, but we just cannot get to it all. We cannot figure out to take this demand. And in the years past, I would hire anyone with the pulse. I would hire anyone that said they were a painter. We'd put them on our jobs and it was a nightmare, absolute debacle. You know, there was no way of really vetting these guys out. There was no way of like really, truly seeing what kind of work they did. You know, there was no real true interview process. And so we've scrapped all that and we've done some amazing things to change that whole system. And that's why we're able to go to Alaska now and Utah and find guys and vet them out before we even start doing it. So once we figured out the labor force and the consistency, now the next problem is leads. So, you know, how many leads do we want? You know, and here in Minnesota, we're set up for it now where we could really, we could do whatever. There's, there's nothing holding us back as far as manpower, scheduling, all that stuff. It's now going into other states where we're not going to have 30 crews in Utah. We might have two or three crews right now that we like. So how do you go about finding leads? How, how you know, do you, what happens if you send out 10,000 postcards and you get a hundred leads? Well, that's a lot of leads in a quick amount of time. So you're not gonna be able to do it. So you've got to kind of figure out how much do you turn the faucet on? When do you turn it on? When do you turn it off? And so that's, what we've been playing around with the marketing piece right now of where's the demand, where's the need summer's coming up. So most of the country, it's going to get busy no matter what. Sure. So you said you figured out the labor force and, and it sounds like you've really systematized your business. So you basically got fulfillment figured out. So now with fulfillment figured out and you've been able to perform more jobs faster, um, then you obviously can sell more. Correct. How did you, how did you figure out the labor force? Cause that, that, that's a common problem for, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening, they would love to, to be able to say, well, I figured out the labor force issue secret sauce man well <laughs> it is i'm asking about it and i'm happy to share it man i yeah. honestly uh consistency I will, I will say that right now consistency mm -hmm. i've been doing this i've been painting exteriors i started in 94 i'm old uh, i became incorporated in 2001 i was never a very good painter i couldn't stand it um i like the sales piece we ran employees for a long time and that was nice. That was, that was good because we could really kind of control it. But every time I would step away to go do bids go to the paint store, the production would slow down. Uh, I went to go work for another company because I was absolutely burnt out. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't sell. I couldn't paint. I mean, I was working too much the young kids at the time. Um, that's where I first was introduced to the whole subcontractor model, which terrified me. Um, sure. because, it's M Carlson painting. It's, it's Matt Carlson. I mean, it's all that stuff. It's all about me. And so I was able to see a totally different business model that I didn't, I didn't know if I agreed with. I didn't, I didn't, I was kind of, 
on the fence about it. And then once I saw it kind of in action and I got to meet some of these crews who this was 2007, um, these guys are still with me to this day Wow, that I met there and it worked out because it, it really is, it's a partnership with your painters knowing that, Hey, my expectation of you is to go up to this job and knock it out of the park, do the best job you can represent yourself, represent my business, do all the things that you would do if it was your own job. So that's where it gets a little slippery because a lot of these guys are like, well, I can just go do it myself. So why would I ever work with you? Which fine. Um, I get that. So to me, I've always been open book. We do things different probably than any other painting contractor out there. Um, a lot of guys say they will, or they say they do, but they don't. Our crews, they get that bid that we give the homeowner. They know exactly if it's a $10,000 job, we're getting $10,000 for it. They know the expectation is they get paid their certain percentage for their labor. They get paid their certain percentage for the materials. No questions asked. If they decide to do something off script, well, it's on them. Same thing with the homeowner. So it's taken me, so we moved that from 2007. It's taken me about 15 years of constantly going through, trying to find guys, stuff like that. Um, being honest, I mean, I'm not the easiest person to work with, but uh, I'm very fair. And I, I just believe if, if, if it's good for me, it's got to be good for them. Sure. We, we have now had it set up to where I can prove without a doubt that guys that come work with us in our system will make more money working with us than on their own. We pay them at the top end that we possibly can, but how it's set up, the expectations from them is extremely high, which means two things, which means they become better painters, but they also become better business owners. So we come in, we do all the stuff that they don't want to do. It's a great fit. And if we find guys that are like, hey man, I'm tired of being the painter and I want to come in and I want to do sales for you. Great. We can put them in our system and they can do sales. They can still keep their business going. Um, we've got all these different options for guys that we tell them, keep your business open, come work with us. But as far as the labor force, it wasn't until 2021 that I spent a hundred percent of my time. We had so much work. I didn't need to find any leads and I had guys going to do the work. So I knew at that point that if I did not, increase our labor force with good guys that my business was going to tank. There was no way we were, we were underwater with all the work that we had and the phone was not, would not stop ringing. So I spent every single day stopping by job sites, hanging out at the paint stores, talking to any painter that would come in. I mean, I, I went after all my paint reps. I went after every single paint rep they knew. And I wasn't here to poach anybody's guys, but I also had opportunity for them. And one of the best resources was us just asking our crews, guys that we had working with us, if they knew anyone and they were like totally open for it. Yeah. And it was just, it was just one of those things where it was like, we never wanted to ask them just because we kind of felt like they might think that we were trying to replace them or whatever it is. I mean, you, in, until you ask it, you don't, you don't really know your mind plays all these tricks on you. So we did. And all of a sudden we went from 12 crews in June of 2021 to 28 at the end of July. Wow. And I'm going to say this to everyone else, guys, if you don't treat your guys well, they're going to come work with us. I can tell you that right now. I've, I, I, more, we've gotten more guys from other competitors because of how our system is. 
we pay them the top end. And they've all, they all said the same thing. Their number one issue was they didn't get treated very well as human beings. They didn't get treated very well. To me, that's, that's not okay. I see it day in and day out. Um, they might be Latino. They might be from Eastern Europe. They might be Americans. It doesn't matter who it is, but every single person said the same thing. And then the second one was money, but the first one was definitely, we don't get treated very well. So we figured that out. We, we try to treat them well, which I know we do. That's, that's the one credit I will take. I try to, I was a painter and I hated it. So if I can find somebody that's really good at painting that can take that off my plate and do it, I'm going to treat them very well. Sure. Why would I not? And I love these guys. I mean, they're, they're, they're like family to us. And so it's, it's really, it's important that you take care of these guys. And once you're in, a lot of these guys are very close knit family. Um, so now they have a cousin or a brother or an uncle that's also a painter. And so all of a sudden now, I mean, every week we have probably three to five new painters come into our office wanting to work with us. Yes. Yeah, so networking, networking, totally networking. They yeah. know what they can expect. And so the other, the other thing was these guys weren't getting paid enough, which I can look at other payment structures that my competitors are using and they're ripping gentlemen, they're ripping the guys off. They're way underpaying them. There's, they're not, they're not spending the money where they need to. To me, your painter's on the job five days a week. For the salesman, he might be on there twice. The project manager, depending on who it is, stop there at all. So now you're telling me that you're gonna beat up the painter and pay them less, but they're gonna be your source, your point of contact on the job site? Yeah. Poor, poor business. <laughs> Um, so once we figured that out, once the guys saw, Hey man, this is the scope of work. This is what I'm getting paid. I know I'm not being told I'm getting paid this. And these guys are smart. I think people think because they're painters that they're not very smart. They actually are They're They get it. They know how much pain it should take. They know how long it should take. And they're looking at these numbers and there's like, there's no way they only got $2,000 for this job. It's going to take us a week and a half to do it. Like we know we're getting ripped off. Then we show them that that, and that's easy to prove because it's, it's right there. And then the scheduling, we were able to keep these guys busy more than anyone else. They show up on the job site and it's ready to go. So how do you guys set up your compensation structure with, with them and the, the sales um, estimator, the project manager, how do you guys set it up? That's different. That works better. So our, our business model is let's just use a $10,000 job. $10,000 job will pay $5,000 in labor to any crew. We know that. We know there's a five, 50% of every job should go to labor. We, mark, we budget for 15% for materials. We want the materials to come in about 10%. Depending on what we're doing, you're painting stucco, staining, you know, cedar shakes, it might go up. But if it dips, if it goes above 15%, then we have an, a, a policy they can come in, we can sit down with the salesperson and we can go over anything on the job. So we give them two options. We can either pay them 65% of the job and they pay for all their own materials and they pay for all their labor, or we can do 50% and we'll cover all the labor. Our business savvy guys who are awesome, take the 65 every time because sure. materials usually come in at 10%. Well, now they just made 5% on the job. If I can make an additional 5% on every single job that I sold, I'd take it. Yep. And they know if we do a job and it's under bid or materials come in at 20, 
we will, we will, we will cut them a check for the difference. As long as we know that, Hey, they didn't spill 15 gallons of paint or they didn't overbuy, you know, that's, that's happened in the past where guys have gone in and they over, they, they weren't used to buying their own materials and they bought too much. And it's like, well, that's on them. But for us, if it's good for us, it's gotta be good for them. Sure. So the sales guys know too, if they go out and they underbid every job just to get it, well, they're not going to get paid on it. They're going to have to end up paying out of pocket to make it right with the crews because I'm not going to tell them, Hey, I'm going to pay you 50% and 15% and then decide that after the job is over, we're going to change that deal. It's never going to happen. Do you, do you pay a commission to your sales reps or, and your project manager? How does that work? So that's been, I have, I've cut this thing up so many different ways on trying to figure out how this works. And so it really wasn't until I brought on my business coach is my business partner. And we were able to, with the help of his boss, really break this thing apart, start to pull and the help of our um, bookkeeper, who's now our CFO is pull all the numbers out. I'm not a numbers guy in any way. I just, I'm like a bull in a China shop, man. I just want to get it done and move yeah. on. Um, but once we were able to start pulling the numbers out and to see exactly, okay, how much can one person sell? But then we, we also had the, the dilemma is that what is the definition of a salesperson? Salesperson to me is what I do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to cold call. I'm going to knock on doors. I'm going to go like put myself out there. I'm bringing in business that the, the, the business never would have had. Yeah. What we have here is because this business is well run or has should say well run. It's starting to be well run. Our phone rings. We have a lot of, a lot of just organic people searching us, but we have so many past customers and clients calling us that really what these guys are doing is just taking a lead. Sure. So we figured out, okay, how much can one person, how many jobs, how many leads can they take? Can they estimate and can they run? So we figured out that minimum was about a million bucks for one guy. So then we could take now out of that, you know, cause I was always comparing myself like, well, I could do it. Well, I'm also the business owner. This is, it's got my name on it. So I'm going to push myself a lot harder, but trying to tell somebody else to go out there and work with as much passion as I do. You're, I mean, I'm very lucky because we have people like that now on staff that are better than I am at what they're doing. And so they're more, they're definitely passionate. So we knew if you can sell a million bucks and run a million dollars worth of business, the company is able to pay you 4% on the lead on that piece. And then 4% on the project management. So they're, they're able to get 8% of that total sale. As and you have the as, same person doing both of those doing that. So we've had, we've done it every single way. We've, we've realized that because of the percentages that we do in our business model, that you really have to have one person that takes that lead, puts that lead together, presents it to the customer, sells it. And then as your project manager, hmm. but as we, as this, as this has evolved and we pay the top end, we've trained them on how to be, even better project managers. They, they are a point of contact. They are a lead guy on that job. The project manager is really just the guy in the middle that's checking in via phone, text message, or stopping by if it's convenient to say, hey, Miss Homeowner, how's everything going? Hey, Mr. Painter, how's everything going? You know, that, that person that kind of bridges it is now letting people know what the next step is. Once that piece was done, so then we were able to figure out, and we guaranteed one of our guys that year, we're like, we're going to guarantee you hundred thousand dollars because he's an independent contractor. So we were paying him five and five. And he said, there's no way he'll never, I'll never be able to manage. I'll never be able to sell and manage a million dollars with the business. 
Well, he did 1.2 wow. in 2021 himself. He made a lot of money. Yeah. That's He's great. been with, and the best part about it, Brandon, is that he has owned his own business since he came over four years ago. And we've helped him build his business. He's actually tripled his own business. Oh, wow. So it's, it's crazy. He's now, he's now become an employee just because we had to do that in that sense. Um, he had his own crew. So now we've kind of shifted everything away, but you know, if, if employee, now we can get you a car. Now we can start to do health yeah. insurance. Now we can start to do all these other things versus these guys as independent contractors. They've come and go over the years. So, um, we knew that that threshold was a million dollars. And so and then now if you just want to just do project management and you want to make 80 plus thousand dollars a year, you have to manage $2 million worth of business. And if you want to just be a salesperson, a hunter, you've got to sell at least $2 million. Well, we know if you spend your time selling and managing, you can do at least a million bucks. So then we just figured, okay, easy math. We can double that. And it's, it's worked out. So these guys now know every single job that they sell and run, they're getting paid on it. So, so Matt, kind of shifting gears a little bit, when you came on the, the podcast last time, you had talked about how you were going to um, open a new office location. I think it was your the, the first time you've done that, right? So your second, second yep. office. And you were looking at uh, Salt Lake City metro area. You said it's, it's pretty similar to uh, Minneapolis. You like Utah. What's going on with that? So... I've been going out there for quite some time and it's, it's a great place, man. If anyone likes to ski, go there. They got some of the best skiing. It's an easy flight from Minnesota. It's, it's, it's a two hour flight from Minneapolis to Salt Lake. And then it's a 40 minute drive to the base of park city. So th that always intrigued me, but I'd been out there a lot. And then, um, unfortunately after all the riots and stuff that was happening in Minneapolis, I was thinking, man, you know what? Like I got to have an exit strategy. I want to, if, if, if it keeps getting worse here in Minnesota, like when my kids are old enough, I gotta, I gotta get out of this place. So that was my first motivation. And then we started doing, we started looking at our business model. Once it kind of, once it started clicking up until that point, I was never leaving. I was, I was stuck in Minnesota. I was stuck in my chair. I was going to be putting the same fires out, the same headaches every day. <laughs> Running on that hamster wheel. Once I was just like, I woke up one day and I was like, oh my gosh, this thing actually works. And it was, it was interesting because it wasn't until July of 2021, I was at, my dad lives in Virginia beach. I was there with my kids and my wife and Adam, my business partner was camping, I think somewhere in Wisconsin. And he calls me and he goes, guess what? I was like, what? He goes, we have 28 crews out working today. Wow. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, yep. He goes, I'm scheduling it from, from my tent. I'm literally scheduling it from my tent. I'm able to get onto our software. I'm able to do everything I possibly can. And we've been working, working behind the scenes. And so now all of a sudden everything started clicking and we came back from vacation. We're like, oh my gosh, like this, this actually works. And so we jumped online and we're like, okay, Hey, best places to open up a small business in Utah was like six out of the top 10. Hmm. So called my friend who's been out there forever. She's been great. We flew out there. It was the first time I'd ever been there in the summertime. And there's three Sherwin Williams in park city alone. So we met with Sherwin. We did all the things that I've been working on for years. And we knew the moment we got off the plane, like, Hey, this is a great place to do it. So we started 
looking for what we call the customer experience manager, somebody to be out there to run the leads, find the crews, all that stuff. But we weren't really sure how this would look. And we did find a gentleman that we hired in October, flew him here. We trained him for about two weeks. um, And he did a great job as far as finding crews. I was going out there every single month um, trying to drum up leads, but really working with him because the market's so hot there. Yeah. We literally thought people were going to be throwing money at us because there was so much work. Well, there is, but we're also the new guys. But we put all our effort into finding crews because that was that we knew just we kind of believed what everyone else has been saying. Oh, there's no good painters. There's no, everyone's too busy. This or that. It's not true. It's not true. I mean, I'm going to tell you this, guys. There's a lot of guys working for people that are miserable where they're at and they're happy to go somewhere else. Yep. So we knew that. Once we started talking to guys out there, it was the same, the same conversation. They weren't being treated well. They weren't being paid enough. Um, it's not that they weren't getting paid enough. They weren't getting paid what they thought they should have been paid for these jobs because they weren't being told the truth. Um, their schedules were all over the place. You know, a lot of them were working either for franchises or other businesses. There's no leadership. These guys, they're just, they're bidding jobs. They throw these guys out to go start a job. Well, there's no color selected. There's no product. There's no real scope. So now these painters show up to a job and nothing's ready. I mean, I did that for 10 years. We would start jobs, no contract, no money down and no colors. Yeah. And we still would knock it out of the park. So getting rid of all that stuff. So Utah has been a little interesting. And the gentleman we had working for us for about 90 days, we just weren't seeing any, there was no sales. And so we kind of really looked at this. And so we started putting a lot more parameters around like what he was doing. We started implementing them here. Like, okay, Hey, every week at our sales meetings, you got to come to the table and say, you've reached out to this many people because everyone's going to tell you, Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Well, busy doing what? Yep. Sitting at your desk playing Tetris or whatever you kids play. I don't know. Um, Wordle. So once we were able to hold him accountable, um, he quit and he left, left this high and dry. So now we have no point of contact out there. Um, and reached out to my my Sherwin rep, who's been fantastic. He introduced me to a painting contractor in Utah that's actually from Minnesota. So I oh. called him up and we've now absolutely taken off. So it took us that guy leaving to kind of put the fire underneath us and get back out there. And there's a lot of guys out there looking for a change, looking to work. So we now know going into our next state, exactly the type of person that we want, the expectations, um, exactly. We know how they're going to get paid, you know, so trying to talk to these guys about how much they got to do, because a lot of the guys that we're talking to our owner operator, they might be doing $200,000 or $400,000 and the numbers don't, it doesn't matter. Um, but we're trying to show them that any place that we go, the expectation is that new business does at least a million dollars with the business year one. Yeah. It has to. And that's the only way that it works. And so trying to get guys, to think about that and believe that they can do it is, is, is the challenging part, but that's the fun part too, because they've got to take a risk. They got to take a leap of faith with us, but we're also investing a lot of time, a lot of money getting these guys set up to where once they do it, it's, it's fairly simple. Yeah. You're providing a really a life-changing opportunity for a lot it of is. You know, painting, you can't do it forever. It's, it's, it, it'll wear on you. It's hard. It's excruciating you know, the guys we talked to, they're like most of us. And they're like how I was, I wasn't only the painter, but I was also the bookkeeper. I also had to do payroll. I had to pay Sherwin bills. 
I had to do all the scheduling. I mean, all the day-to-day stuff that is extremely taxing, especially when you make your money putting paint on the wall. You running the schedule is costing you money. You out doing 10 bids and only getting two or three is costing you a ton of money. You can't, you can't ever really get out of that. And so that's where we're able to step in and say, listen, we can help you make your business more successful, put you into our system and make everyone's life a lot easier and make everyone a lot more money. Yep. So for, for, for people who are listening, who are interested in opening a, a second location and kind of following um, your path here, what would be some of the most important advice that you would want to convey to them, whether things that they should do, things that they shouldn't do, how they should think about it? I would say the first thing is, is, is make sure your business, wherever you are, is solid. Like we use the Minnesota one as like, is our corporate, is our headquarters, but it wasn't, there was 20 years of me never thinking I was going to ever get out of the same position I was in. So making sure that you as the business owner can leave and not be in your business would be the first thing. Because if, if most business owners, they're the bottleneck of their own business. Yeah. They don't realize that until, until you actually get yourself out of there or you quit and go work for somebody else, you realize it's you. You're the problem. Well, no one, no one can do it like them. So they'll, they'll just take care of it. Exactly. And that's, that's the hardest part is, is letting that piece go. But for me, I had been in so much pain over the years of just the ups, the downs, all this different stuff where I was ready to let it go. And so it took me that stepping off the ledge to where I was like, I'm so glad I did it, but it was scary, man. It was, it was definitely terrifying. The key is find a good team, pay them very, very well. Um, You're going to get betrayed. You're going to get lied to. You're going to get people to quit on you, but you can't ever give up, but there's good people out there. And as long as you are true to yourself and honest uh, about what you want. And I think the biggest thing too, is the why, why, why do you want to, why do you want to own your own business? You know I mean? 99% 99% of the guys out there right now, they're not business owners. Very few people are true business owners. These guys, they're self, they're owner operators, they're good technicians. And so it's like, there's a pride thing that comes down to it. But at the end of the day, like if you want to help grow something or get out of a business or have it work for you, you've got to know what's making you sure. motivate you to do it. Because what, is your, what is your why? Oh man. My why is... I've always believed, you know, as a younger kid that I just wasn't, I wasn't good enough for it. So I've kind of proven it to myself that I, I can handle this, you know, having, having two young kids, that was the kind of thing too. I mean, everyone's got like, Oh, my parents got divorced or this or that. Like to me, everyone's parents are, are bad. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> we'll be bad I too. <laughs> I just, to me, it was more myself pushment of just believing like, you know what? I got this. I, I can do this for myself that yeah. no matter how bad it gets, I've always got myself to kind of figure it out. And so now, now that I've been able to do it for myself, like I want to help other people do that. To me, that's what brings me the most joy is helping these guys or gals who are in bad spots. You know, they might have a business and they're making, you know, 150, $200,000 a year, but they're miserable. They're working a hundred, 200 hours, you know, all this stuff. They don't get to see their kids. They don't, this, their marriage is on the rocks because they're never around. Like don't have to live like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good people out there that are motivated and, you know, self-employed is what they are, but to be a true business owner, it takes a lot more and that's, it's never ending. I mean, it's talk about having to learn stuff every single day and push yourself 
to be uncomfortable all the time. And I think a lot of guys get complacent, you know, they've got two or three guys or two or three crews and they, they like where they are, but they don't ever want to grow. And that's what we're seeing right now is guys just don't want to take that risk. Yeah. They're happy where they are, but they're not, they're miserable and you can't always sustain it. You can yeah. only do so much. So you're eventually, if you're not growing, you're dying. It's pretty much the way I see it. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're improving or you're getting worse, but yep. no, yep. no one and no business has ever just staying the same. That's a fallacy. Well, what I see right now too, is that everyone is raising their prices, but they're not putting on a better product. And it's, it frustrates me to no end where it's like, I get increasing the cost, just the cost of living, the cost of gas, all that stuff. But guys that are just like, oh, I'm going to start charging this. Like, in fact, your product is even worse than it was before. So you don't, you're not allowed to raise your prices that much, which is great because that's where we come in. Every, all our stuff is metric pricing. We know to the square foot, to the linear foot, how much things should cost. And you can always yep. tweak it, but we know going into our bids that we are right in track. We know exactly because everyone's accountable for it from the salesperson to the painter, all that stuff. We know exactly where they should be. If it's a $10,000 job and we bid it for that, we know that's what it should be. Sure. Somebody could come in and say, they'll do it for seven or 15, but we know without a doubt, we are right there. Yeah. So now it doesn't have to be a numbers game. Now it doesn't have to be like, we're going to lower our prices to get the job. We know at that point we don't want it. And if somebody does it for $7,000, they're either going to do a terrible job or they're going to stick the homeowner with upcharges to get it to where it needs to be. So with this Salt Lake City second location, is this is this where it ends or, or are you thinking nope. about opening a third? No, nope, we've got one. Uh, a gentleman from Alaska Anchorage, uh, he just flew in here last week, him and his wife. Um, that one will be a go. Lucky enough, one of the guys from Minnesota lives in Hawaii. So we're, we're going to strike a deal with him is that he opens up the Hawaii office. Wow. We take all his stuff here. Um, that, that'll be a good one. They, they, it's, they're so you're going nationwide. Up. Yeah. Well, that was just, that's, that's, that's a no brainer, but we've, we've already started, started talking to people in Phoenix, uh, Denver. We've got some people in Bozeman. I mean, we can go anywhere we want. My dad's out in Virginia beach. I was out there talking to uh, the city manager and the store managers out there. I mean, it's really wherever we want to go. How is the Hawaii out of curiosity? Uh, because I, I interviewed someone on the show who works in Hawaii. How is that one a no brainer? That one seems, that one seemed tough to me. Well, so this company here, the owner has been living in Hawaii and he was running his painting business here. And that's actually kind of what started this whole thing off and, and his lead guy is now working for us. And that was, it was totally fine where we, we work together. They refer us a lot of exterior work um, because they don't, they don't, that's not their thing. So we've, for the past four years, we've been their exterior labor force. So we'll go out there. They might go bid the job, but we'll take care of all. We'll, we'll do everything. We'll do all the scheduling, all the color consultation, the warranty, the carpentry, all that stuff. And then we just pay them a fee, which is genius. It works out really, really well. So that's kind of how the whole relationship started. Um, the gentleman's been out in Hawaii for four years and he's not planning on moving back here. So he's been remotely running his business from Hawaii here. So the more business we're doing, we're like, listen, we'll take over Minnesota. Yeah. You focus on Hawaii. We'll come out there. We'll, we'll get set up. We'll find the crews. We'll do everything that we do here. So he never has to worry about anything in Minnesota except for his paycheck. So more networking, man. Net it's really, networking is huge. It's really that easy because 
he had to come in town last winter to do touch up. He had to fly from Hawaii because the customer is like, no, you have to be here. So it's just like, to me, logistically, it doesn't make sense where he can still do all the marketing. He can still do all the stuff behind the scenes. We are the labor force here. And we would do the same thing for him there. We would be generating the leads, helping him find all those guys and he'd be running projects out there. So we're just putting his day-to-day is sitting on the beach, working from there. We're taking all the stuff here. Man, Matt, this is- I know. It's, it's so exciting to hear everything you, you have going on. I feel like we're, we're going to end up having you on this podcast for a third time. It'll be like, oh, we had, we're in eight states, opening another nine now. I mean, you're, you're taking this, you're, you're going to blow up. Well, it's, I mean, and, and we knew the first one would take a while. And to me, it was like, I was already committed to, to Salt Lake. And that's the thing too, is like, if you're going to go somewhere, you really got to want to be there. And it's, it's cost me a fair amount of money. Um, I mean, I have been paying for an office space. I paid a gentleman for 90 days, you know, salary to not produce anything, any, any work. We got, we got stuff out of it. We got crews, we got this. So it wasn't a total waste, but it's, I haven't, I haven't made a profit out there and it probably won't for a little bit, but, and that's okay because it's, it's, we're figuring out what works there because now we're seeing all the things that haven't worked in Minnesota. And now what's really working here. Now we go to the next state, get that set up, turn that into the next one. And what's cool about it is anywhere we go, we don't need to be doing tens of millions of dollars at these sites. We can start off as low as we want. Yep. So, you know, Utah doesn't have to be a $3 million business year one. It could do $500,000 and it's still fine because headquarters are here. We do all the scheduling, we do all the marketing, we do all the bill paint, everything comes out of Minnesota. So that overhead now is not on the burden of anywhere else we go. Sure. Yeah. So, so I think it, it's important to, to kind of have a, I guess like a flagship location and then a little bit of investment yep. uh, fund, so to speak for new locations. But that, that took me a long time to get it all kind of set up and running. And it's just having the physical location to, to house as many people to do this type of work. But it also was, I could never afford any of this stuff two years ago. I was losing money left and right. So it was like, until we kind of turned it around and became profitable until they really got me out of it. Um, now it started to work because I was still like the lead salesman. I still was doing this. I still was doing all these other things that I enjoyed doing, but I was kind of holding things back. So until I really got pushed out of the way and into things that I enjoyed doing, it, it, it was, it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I see a, a couple of huge themes here, man. You, you systematize your business. So you got the processes, the fulfillment really dialed in. You uh, have made networking uh, constant networking, it, a very big part of your company's culture and even your job roles. And that helps you um, get more jobs. It helps you get better employees or, or subcontractors. And it helps you find these business partnerships where, you know, you're actually opening different locations with different people around the country. Uh, you've removed yourself. So you're working on getting out of your own way because entrepreneurs oftentimes are, are end up being their own bottleneck. Um, and then really you, you kind of have, have shifted as you said, from being a painting company to largely a, a sales and marketing company that provides painting services. Would you, would you say these are the, the primary themes that have been really driving your success over the past couple of years? A hundred percent. And I'll say this, the systems, I'm not a systems guy. That was my biggest problem is that I, I shoot from the hip. Like I just, I go like everything is just kind of Classic entrepreneur. Oh man, the high D person. Oh, like, I don't want to be told what to do. I didn't want to put stuff on my calendar, but it, I could never, 
that was my biggest hindrance. I wouldn't systematize stuff. And even though I could keep track of all this stuff in my mind, every job, all these things, it was like, okay, this should be down on paper, like all these different things. So it wasn't until then where I realized I'm the problem. This is, this is because how I've been doing it is the reason why we're here. And if I don't change this, if this isn't something that we can solve, it's never going to change. Yeah. And that was very eye-opening, but also, you know, a hard pill to swallow where it's kind of like, okay, like you, you look at something, it's like, Hey, I've taken this thing for this long. And they always joke here that they can't believe how far I was able to take this thing from running it the way I was. It was sheer grit and willpower. That's all it was, man. I just like every day, I just got manhandling that thing. Oh yeah. You know, I like processes be, be damned. Just I know. Hand. I just like, no one was going to tell even myself, even though know, I knew it was the right thing to do. I still was just like, I'm not going to listen way. to you. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're do whatever you want. <laughs> so now it's, it's good because I've got people, you know, and I've had people that I had to fire that I didn't want to. I've had people, you know, quit on me that I never thought would quit on me. So it's like, the idea that once you get to a certain spot in your business, that it's all rainbows and butterflies. Oh man, this is still, it's harder work than it's ever been, but I enjoy it so much more. It's stuff that actually I enjoy doing versus before I was tired of putting out fires and the, he said, she said, and getting put into stuff and sure. having to swoop in and, you know, walk the customer off the ledge and save the day and all that stuff. And I'm like, I hate that. I don't yeah. I don't want that anymore. I don't want to solve those problems because those aren't problems. Those are like, I don't even, I, I can't even think of a word to do it where it was like, they were just like such a consistent part of the day to day that it's just, and I think a lot of guys are like that too, where it's like, they don't want to get up and go run that job because they don't want to see what's there. Or they don't want to go do the bid because they don't want to be told that they didn't get it. Or they don't want to answer their phone because they're too busy. I mean, the business should be able to run by itself and you should be able to do the things that you want to do in your own business if you truly own your own business. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. Do you have any other uh, advice, any other things you want to say before we wrap up? It's all about mindset. Um, I find myself, you know, when, when things are good, um, feeling really good about everything. And then when things aren't going good, you start to resort back to, Oh, you know, there's not enough work or, Oh, I can't, I mean, the little things every day, the self-talk, the, you know, and that, that also comes down to your why, you know, if you can understand why you're doing this, it really makes it bearable to get through those really tough days, those tough phone calls, the, the feeling like you're never going to get out of this. Um, but you also stay humble enough to realize that we don't know what we're doing. I'm going to admit that I have no idea what I'm doing 95% of the time. And the only reason I do know what I'm doing is because I did it wrong a hundred times before this. So yeah. being, being open enough to make mistakes and admit it and try to figure it out. But, and also the growth mindset where it's not fixed because you've been doing it a certain way. doesn't mean it's the right way. Um, trusting people, you know, I mean, I think there's, we could, we could talk about a whole nother session about, you know, the, the, the right mindset, the right people out there, but just let everyone know, like, there's so much opportunity for everyone that there's, there's so much work. There's so much money that we don't need to be competing with each other. The only person you, anyone should be competing with them is themselves. You know, don't, don't look at some other company and be like, Oh, well they're doing, you know, more, more in volume than I am in sales. And who cares? None of that stuff. Yeah. That, that to me is you're doing yourself and your business and your customers a disservice. If you're competing with another company, then you should go work for that company. 
Yeah. Get yourself, you know, make yourself a better person, a better leader, a better painter, whatever it is. If you, if you answer the phones, be the best phone answerer you can do. If you are the best, if you're the painter, be the best painter you can do all that stuff, bring that level up. And then there's, there's no competition. You know, if you compete with yourself, that's, that's what makes it fun because you don't know what these other guys are doing. Yeah. It might not be profitable. They might be saying anything to the customer, you know, it's Google reviews. That's always the biggest thing that I see coming across. Oh, hey, this other company's got this many Google reviews. And it's like, how can you prove that they're actually giving them? You know, so it's one of those things like if a customer gives us a Google review, great. That's it. We don't need to compete with anyone else because they've got twice as many or five more, one more. Like we get our Google reviews for the work that we do. Not, yeah. we're not bribing people. We're not, you know, all the different things that people do. You know what? At the end of the day, man, karma will take care of that. So for sure. Well, Matt, man, this was, this was incredible. I feel like you have a, um, you have a motivational speaker uh, future ahead of you somehow here. Cause you're, you are good at this. Yeah. It's interesting. If you talk to people, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge introvert. So it's like, I don't wow. really, I like to, I get recharged by doing things alone. Like, so, but thank you. I appreciate those kind words. Yeah. So yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show again. Man, thanks for inviting me again, man. I'm always happy to be here. So yeah. Awesome. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.